This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, Head of Marketing here at Brella, and I'm here today with my Chief Revenue Officer, Mike Cirillo, for Better Benefits, Episode 21. Today, our guest is Dan Assetti. He's the Managing Principal of Executive Benefit Group, Inc., and he brings over 30 years of experience building employee and executive benefit programs. Mike, can you tell us a little bit about how you met Dan and what you're looking forward to in this conversation about executive benefits? I sure can. Hey, Laura, great to be with you once again. And and yes, I am uh, really excited to have Dan with us today. I've had the privilege of knowing Dan now for more than 15 years, and, and we got to know each other working together on a large multinational employer back in the day. And, and that's where I had a chance to see Dan's skills up close. But like some of the best parts about our industry and our business and the relationships that you build on the professional front, it's progressed into a, into a friendship over the years. And, and I'm glad for that and really glad to have Dan on the show today because he's really focused in on closing the financial gaps that can exist with today's employees, especially when it comes to their overall financial wellness. Now, his firm specializes in supplemental programs for key employees and executives and I'm really looking forward to hearing his outlook for this space, as well as how to close the gaps through employee benefits more broadly. And I know we'll be asking him about the solutions that he's seeing working well and effectively for executive teams. And we'll see what kinds of learnings we can draw from that as our listeners think about their benefit strategies for 2022 and beyond. And, and with, as you mentioned, an extensive background and experience, I know Dan has a lot of wisdom to share with us. That's wonderful. So let's go ahead and introduce Dan to our listeners. I mentioned earlier, Dan is managing principal of Executive Benefits Group in Charlotte, North Carolina. Early in his career, he worked for North England Financial before moving on to grow the team at Mass Mutual. He then spent about 10 years with NFP Executive Benefits as a senior consultant. Dan, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. It's great to be here. So Dan, thanks for accepting our invites. It's great to reconnect in in this forum. And I I thought it would be really helpful for our audience to hear a little bit more from you about your journey and and how you landed in the area of executive benefits. Well, it's it's been a, a not a long journey, but yeah, I've been doing this for 30 plus years. So there's been a number of different iterations, but I started in right after the crash of, of 87, to give you some context, in the investment and pension side of the business and you know was in that space for a long time very fulfilling exciting time when 401k's were relatively new and we were running around the country implementing those plans but over time that industry at least to my experience became somewhat commoditized both in terms of the duties and the remuneration and so I, I kind of gradually migrated into other aspects of financial services and ultimately ended up in the executive benefit area, which is just an extension of of employee benefits. So anyways, that's kind of how, and plus the fact that executive benefits to me has always been interesting. It's very technical, can be, and it rewards kind of the, both the analytical and the creative problem solving side of things. So it's just something that has, has attracted me over the years 
kept bumping up against it and ultimately probably shortly before you and I met Mike made the decision to move over to that full time. Dan, did the you bring up an interesting point on the commoditization of of certain programs or benefits and I think we all feel that in a lot of different ways and and you sort of align that back to the technical side. So, so maybe would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about how the world of executive benefits has sort of allowed you to get out of just being viewed as another product or service from a sort of a commodity type perspective. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little more color there, I think that'd be an interesting topic. Yeah, no, well, it's, it is relatively product oriented, but it's the work that we do. I mean, first of all, it's very so much because what we're, we're typically dealing with is a very a relatively small population of people that have a unique problem in that, you know, what they receive in the form of an employee benefit is, is different than what maybe the majority of employees receive. And therefore, each of those situations is going to be different and unique. And so in order to address those problems, we have to be kind of creative, both in terms of you know what the, the tax laws allow, what the DOL allows, and what the product solutions and the underwriters of the products allow. And so what we're typically utilizing to solve some of these problems is individual insurance products, individual life insurance, individual disability insurance, and individual long-term care insurance. And even when we're saving for retirement, it's sometimes utilizing individual life insurance. So as a result, those products are, you know, they're not commoditized because they're not spread across. We're not dealing with thousands and thousands of lives. Typically, we're dealing with maybe, you know, dozens of lives. And as such, the Again, the what we're doing in terms of the analytics and the solutions are dynamic and changing each time. That's interesting to me. And I think you know that right there, I guess, fights off or defends against commoditization just because it's not standardized. But the other side of that is over time, the compensation is not like it is in the large group pension group benefit field. It's just it's standard individual insurance products compensation. That's so interesting, though, because I I hear what you're saying, and I can imagine that that creates room for sort of a unique pocket of creativity inside of benefits. And I it strikes me uh, that executive benefits could actually be a place for experimentation that could take learnings back into the broader employee benefit pool, maybe down the road. You know, what, so before we dig into to all of that, I wonder, Dan, if you could, for for any of our audience who isn't familiar, if you could just kind of give us an overview of what are executive benefits and and why are employers providing these? That's a great question. And thank you. Actually, I was struggling with the previous question because I didn't want to get ahead of myself because I know the audience might not be as familiar. So executive benefits really are just employee benefits. And, you know, there are a number of employee benefits that are either a function of or percentage of or a multiple of somebody's income, things such as life insurance, disability insurance, retirement plan readiness, either qualified plans or whatever. And when the higher the level of income, the more those plans start to become less effective. So if you have a, a group long-term disability benefit that provides a 60% of a income of income up to a cap, then anybody above that cap will not receive 60%. Same thing with life insurance. It's the caps that create the problems and the shortfalls for the higher paid incomes. 
So, you know, the term executive, it doesn't really probably mean the same thing. It really, it should be highly paid employee benefits because it could be a physician. It could be a business owner. It doesn't have to be somebody who's technically an executive, but it's really about high levels of income. And those people at that level not receiving a uniform benefit from the benefit plan. So we're, what we do is we come in and we take a look at the population, the entire population. We take a look at the benefit approach that the employer wants to provide. Sometimes they want to just restore the level of benefit for those folks. Sometimes they want to enhance it because these are the highest paid people. These are, I wouldn't say more valuable as individuals, but they're more valuable in terms of what they provide, you know, by evidence of the fact that they don't pay them the same, they pay them more. So sometimes the employer wants to actually provide a higher level of benefit for those folks. And when they look at what the typical employee benefit plan provides, it's it's a lower level. So it, it really, we're, we're combining all of those objectives, those decision objectives, where do they want to be relative to their peers? Where are they relative to their plan design? And then how big of a problem is there? How many people? What's the magnitude of that problem? And then what's the solution? And then that's really where the creativity comes in is the solution development is, you know, what's available? What can we negotiate? Somewhat of a each situation can can become a little bit of horse trading, especially if we look at the excess markets, you know, the Lloyds of London and things of that nature. So hopefully that answers answers your question. Yeah, I, and I was just going to follow up and ask: Are there certain types of companies that are good candidates for executive benefits? That's another really good question, Laura. We get that a lot, and the answer is. No, it's not like a standard. Really, it's are there situations in that employer where you have employees who's who are not receiving the proper or the the desired level of benefit. And the reason I say no at the beginning is sometimes that's a population of attorneys who have high incomes, sometimes that's a population of business executives, sometimes it's a small population of highly paid people in a very blue-collar organization. And so sometimes people will think, well, a blue-collar organization would not be a good candidate for executive benefits. And honestly, it's the exact opposite. When you have very disparate employee populations, such as executives and then, you know, let's say landscapers or a manufacturing firm, it's really difficult to cover all of those folks uniformly with one benefit package. And so you might have one or 2% of the population that looks from a compensation and an occupation perspective, very different from the rest of the people. And therefore, it's really hard to conflate all of that into one benefit package. And that's where our work comes in is to come in and say, let's not try to, to be all things to all people. Let's, let's provide a little different package for these, these 10 people than we do for these other 5,000. That's great. That's something we've been talking about a lot on past episodes, just how can you make your benefits offering truly serve a specific group of people and their unique needs and the employer group may be diverse. So, so that's great. Yeah, I was just thinking about Laura, you know, the our, our episode from last week with with Lindsay Pollock on just the needs of multi-generational workforces. This is just really an extension of that, right? And Dan, I want to ask you about your partnership with, you know, the benefits broker in a second, but you touched on something I, I wanted to just poke at a little bit more. And that was around making sure that benefits were aligned with peer companies. And, 
if you go back to just, and I love your sort of breaking it down to very simple terms that exec benefits are just employee benefits. And if you go back to sort of the, the fundamental goal of executive, I'm sorry, of employee benefits, and that's to attract and retain key employee talent, would you mind maybe expanding a bit on how important it is in this sort of segment of benefits to give an employer something that provides competitive offerings that allows them to recruit more effectively and, and retain their talent? Because I imagine at the key employee or executive level, that's that's just a real critical piece of the equation. Any Any additional thoughts there? Absolutely. So, you know, it's always been a problem recruiting, rewarding, retaining leadership and executive talent. It's becoming, I believe, anecdotally, we're seeing evidence that it's becoming more difficult and certainly more expensive to replace them. So there's studies that show that it's 200 and 400 percent of somebody's income is the cost to replace them. So, and these are highly wow. compensated people. So those are big numbers, you know, $250,000 a year salary employee, if they walk out the door, will cost between a half a million and a million dollars to replace. So, you know, the, there is a bit of a, I think, a, a grain of the leadership talent in the industries that we serve. So keeping those folks around, making sure that what you provide is attractive enough for them not to walk across the street to work for somebody else is, is very important. What we're seeing, though, is employer groups don't really know how to do that well. And they the, the default is to not to throw cash at them, but to provide everything through long-term incentive or short-term incentive bonus-type programs. And what the studies show is that that doesn't have the effect on employee loyalty that they think it does, they being the employer. So a bigger impact and a much bigger bang for the buck is to provide something for these folks that they cannot do on their own and something customized, something bespoke that is built around the plans that they already have. It's, it's pre-negotiated with you know, underwriting and pricing concessions. And those types of plans actually appeal to the leadership or the executive talent more than just throwing extra cash at them. From a, to your other portion of your question though, Mike, peer group analysis is huge and there's just not that much of it available in the executive benefits side of things. There's, there's a lot of employee benefit benchmarking data available, but precious little on the executive benefit side. So about 20 years ago, when we recognized that, we started in our little firm capturing all of the executive benefit or all the data we could on every case that we worked on, whether we wrote it or just you know, proposed on a case. And we captured everything from you know, benefit pool levels, taxation of benefits, plan design, prevalence, you name it. We've captured it and we have kind of created a repository of all that data and now have a peer group benchmark tool for certain, you know, certain industries, not every industry, but certain industries, certain size of companies and somewhat geographically as well, which is again, proven to be unique. That's great. Yeah. And that, again, I imagine not to speak for you, but that's where you get into that area of being creative and and not just, you know, a, a commodity. So thanks for those. Thanks for those insights. So let's, Let's jump to, you know, the other the other question I wanted to ask around, you know, why would a benefits broker, Dan, want to bring someone with your expertise and specialty into discuss executive benefits? So I guess the first question is, why would they want to even have a conversation about executive benefits? One is there's a need for it. Their employees, I mean, their, their, their clients rather are 
facing these problems. At some point, they're going to recognize these problems, whether or not you know it's, it's top of mind. It becomes top of mind when there's an event. Either somebody walks out the door because of the lack of a, of a certain benefit, somebody becomes disabled, and their benefit level is not what they thought it was. So there's usually some kind of a, a triggering event that makes it top of mind. But even short of that, the, the I guess the more forward-thinking HR people will start looking at this and saying, hey, we need to address this problem. If the employee benefit consultant doesn't have that solution and or the skill set to affect that solution, then they're going to be at a loss or they're going to be in a, in a bad situation. So what? why would they want to bring somebody like us? And A, we bring instant credibility, both in terms of our, you know, our experience and our, and our you know, client list, but then also our systems, you know, our firm, what we have learned, and I think not just our firm, but better firms in general, but what we've really learned is that details matter and protocols and process matters. So we, we make sure that everything that can be memorialized and, and checked off is done, so, is done that way. And therefore, things go off very smoothly when people bring our team into a situation. And the reason that we find that's important is these are the most, I guess, again, using the term carefully, important people in an organization. I mean, when somebody does something and, and it upsets one of the senior leadership team of an organization, it becomes very loud. So you want to make sure that both the experience that that executive has during the process is, is a good one and that the, the solution that's developed is sound and doesn't have any glitches, doesn't have any, any trap doors or any, any blind spots because at time of claim or at time that the benefit is needed in whatever form it is, that's not when you want to find out that, uh-oh, we just, <laughs> we just discovered this for the first time. What we bring to the table is you know, close to 30 years of experience, and experience includes success and failure. So you know, we've, we've learned along the way where the, where the problem spots are. We've smoothed those out. We've created, again, protocols and processes around them so that they don't repeat. And uh, all of that's inherent in what we what we bring, even though it's kind of hidden, it's very relevant. Got it. So I, I wanted to ask you to dig a little bit deeper into some of the solutions. I'm curious, I, I think it's so fascinating what you said about how cash compensation is not as effective as custom benefits at enticing executives to stay in a role or to stay loyal to to a company. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about maybe at a high level, some of the solutions that your firm has put in place that have been really effective for employer clients. So again, it comes down to what are the needs uh, that are, or maybe what are the, the gaps that are left behind by the employee benefit program that the, that the company provides. So again, a big one as an example, well, I kind of touched on it at a high level. It's income protection for disability insurance. It's life insurance. You know, it is retirement plan readiness. So do they have enough income during the retirement years? Really, it's everything to protect their income, right? If they become disabled, protect their income. If they die, protect the income for the family. And when they retire, protect the income for them. And long-term care is, is basically retirement income protection. 
So the solutions, though, are varied because every situation is unique. We, we've put together programs where, you know, we have a, a population of folks who make in the millions of dollars and they want to make sure that they became disabled or, or something happened to them. Both the employee and the employer are protected. You know, you've, you've, you've got two stakeholders in most of these discussions. One is the, is the employee or the executive himself and their family. The other thing, though, is what happens to the company? if that key person can't work. So you're, you're looking at what we call morbidity and mortality risk from a number of perspectives and who's, who's affected by that. And so, you know, the solutions become, again, fairly vanilla. You know, we're providing high levels of disability income protection or we're providing high levels of life insurance. The tricky part is negotiating concessions from the underwriters across a small population. And concessions would be in the form of underwriting concessions. Most of the work we do, believe it or not, is written with what's called guaranteed issue underwriting. So there's no medical underwriting. And that's important because if you want to provide something to your top 20 or 30 people, you don't want one or two people being left out because they have a health problem, if you can help it. So negotiating underwriting concessions is important. And then pricing concessions because these are not inexpensive products. But one thing that I think that we did that might be of interest is just kind of a creative spin on something. So we had a large private equity client who had a a number of portfolio companies that that would be familiar to most people on the call, but I won't mention the names here, but that they, they had a couple of these firms that were doing particularly well. They wanted to reward the executives. These are folks all making in the, I'd say, $800,000 to $1 million a year range. And they didn't have a huge budget for this, but they said, what could we do for, let's say, 500000 I mean, $5,000 per person per year? And, you know, they knew that if they threw $5,000 a year into their bonus pool, it wouldn't move the dial. It would have just kind of been an afterthought, had been a rounding error. But they wanted to do something, and they came to us, and they said, what could we do? So we looked at all their benefit plans that they offered, and kind of, you know, cut to the quick we looked at providing a disability income protection plan that provided about $100,000 a year if those people couldn't work. But if we just spun it as, hey, here's some disability insurance, we also felt that wouldn't really get the impact or have the impact that private equity group wanted. So we looked at it from a different perspective and we said, why do we all work? And this is the, basically, we put together this communication strategy that said, why do we all work? And keep in mind, some of these these executives worked in areas that they were well acquainted with the fact that we are in this extended, uniquely low interest rate environment. Okay, so it kind of has a backdrop. So, you know, interest rates are down, they've been down, and they, for the foreseeable future, probably will remain down. So we use the argument that we all work because we all need cash flow. We need a stream of income. And if we have something to replace that stream of income, we don't necessarily need to work, not, at least not for that reason. So, you know, we all know that the objective is to, is to accumulate a pile of cash, let's say, or assets, you know, retirement assets, et cetera, that will spin off a level of, of income that retirement. And if you needed $100,000 and interest rates were 10%, how much would you need? Well, you would need a million dollars at 10% interest to throw off $100,000 a year. But if interest rates drop to 1%, how much do you need for that same 100000 You need $10 million. 
So we established this kind of vernacular, this truism that your income or any stream of income is more valuable in a low interest rate environment than it is in a high interest rate environment because you're, you're not going to be able to generate the kind of income off of that if on whatever assets you've accumulated. And w- then what we did is we said, in this low interest rate environment, what's $100,000 worth? Well, it's worth, you know, at 1%, it's worth $10 million or 2% is worth $5 million. And we left it at that and said, we're going to provide you with a solution that if you can't work due to a, an illness or an injury, we're going to provide you with this $100,000 a year income. And the inference was that this is worth this is an asset worth four to or five to ten million dollars, and they loved it. And so for five thousand dollars, and I apologize for going on so long, but in terms of creativity, for five thousand dollars a year, we gave them something that these guys absolutely went crazy over, versus throwing five thousand dollars into their bonus that they would never even have noticed. Wow, that's great. Well, there's no now, commoditization there, there, Dan. No, yeah. no, certainly it's, it's yeah. <laughs> kind of where the, the 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 creativity comes into play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's it's a great example. So, Dan, I, I guess I'll ask a bit of a selfish question. Just curious, you know, as you've gotten to know what we're doing here at Brella and sort of thinking about your specialty and expertise, how, how do you see a product like Brella fitting into executive benefit strategies? So, honestly, we're super excited about. Brella and how it can fit into, you know, the, the conversations that we have every day. First of all, I think it's a almost just a natural extension of what we do. It, it fits in line with the other products and services and, and problems that we, we solve. And that is, you know, how do you supplement an employee benefit, you know, to, to either fill any, any gaps and or create something attractive with a, with a fully insured product. And so I just think it's, you know, it's one of these things that employers who are looking to get creative, who are looking to provide something attractive to their executives, but perhaps to do it without just throwing, you know, extra cash at them and maybe to do it with something very cost effective from the numbers we've seen on the Brella product, a little bit, a little bit of premium goes a long way in terms of what, what you get for that. So again, from our perspective, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute natural fit, and I think I think it's a it's a very attractive tool employers could use to give something extra to their to their executives or their you know their their leadership team and then some you know not not just for them for every employee but it's a natural fit. Awesome, that's great to hear, Dan. So. Dan, we finish every episode by asking a little bit of a nosy question about your bookshelf. You know, everyone who comes on our show is such an amazing leader and has accomplished so much in their career. And we know that, you know, a growth mindset and a lot of help usually goes into that along the way. So I was wondering if there's a book or a resource that had a big impact on you from a a professional development perspective that you might want to share with our listeners. Yeah, I do. And uh, having listened to some of your podcasts in the past, I, I know that oftentimes the books are kind of aspirational and or, you know, developmental. This book is a little different in that it it's one that I've used multiple times. I've used it at times of crisis. I've used it at other times, but it's invaluable when you need it. And it's a book called Crucial Conversations. It was written by a team of psychologists that they were working, these organizational psychologists working with companies, and they started realizing that there was a kind of a common 
not skill set, but just kind of commonality between people in organizations who were able to deal with difficult moments and deal with them effectively. And so they started breaking that process down. So it's really, it's about dealing, how to deal with situations that where you have two sides or two parties who are in significant disagreement and the stakes are high. And so how do you, how do you resolve those conversations? How do you resolve those issues without one side walking away feeling like they've lost? And, and there's a very structured process. I actually read the book, have read it several times, have used it, like I said, in, in specific moments, not just for business, by the way, you can use it in your, your personal life as well. And then years later, discovered that there was a training module built around it and uh, went up and attended like a two-day training session and just continue to feel that it's, it's invaluable to folks. So anyways, it's called Crucial Conversations. Wonderful. That sounds like a great suggestion. And I can imagine it's something that any, you know, HR professional, employer, benefits manager, or, or broker who's listening, you know, could put that to use. Um, Certainly at work, you know, there's a lot at stake with with finding solutions that work for everyone. So that's great. I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes that will be on our website related to this episode. And and with that, Dan, I want to thank you. This has been a, a wonderful conversation and and has given us a lot to think about on the employee benefits side as well as understanding better, you know, the world of executive benefits. So thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's great talking to the both of you. Thank you, Dan. So, Mike, so much came up in this that, that that was super interesting and really, you know, on topic for a lot of the things that we've been discussing on the show in the past few weeks. So I'm wondering what, what sticks out for you as far as some key takeaways. Yeah, you know, it, I guess I've got two. But before I, I touch on those, I, I do think, you know, a lot of connectivity to those topics that we've been talking about, you know, and I, and I think that's, it's rewarding when we have these discussions because we're starting to see the more we do this, how everything is fitting together. And when we sort of built the idea of this podcast, it was, you know, together, we're all sort of trying to solve some tough challenges. And there really is so many unique opportunities and specialties and products and services and really good, talented people you know, kind of rowing in the same direction. So anyway, I was really just reminded by that today. Two things really stick out to me. One was this sort of theme of how executive benefits can sort of minimize that commoditization effect that we see all too often in the benefit space. You know, these, these are not really cookie cutter type programs. They require some technical expertise and the case study that Dan shared sort of highlighted that. So, you know, great opportunities for for good, talented consultants and advisors to differentiate, you know, in this space and really bring value to to their clients. And then uh, the second piece was this replacement cost, right? When an executive leaves and, you know, when you start thinking about, you know, 200 to 400% replacement cost when, when a key employee departs an organization, how impactful that can be not only on the re- recruiting and, and replacement side, but just, you know, the overall sort of impact that, that it could have on on the business and and how you know custom benefits like executive benefits may be viewed more favorably than just cash compensation. So some really good enlightening thoughts from Dan. How about for you? Yeah, I was really impressed by the research that he mentioned that and the stories that he told about how cash compensation you know, especially after tax can feel like a drop in the bucket that doesn't really make a difference at the end of the day. But if you're providing 
a benefit that has outsized, you know, payouts if and when you need them, you can get so much leverage out of those dollars that an employee couldn't get, or an executive in this case, couldn't get on their own. And that is really the the opportunity that really good benefits presents to to employers that they can take, you know, a limited amount of money and do something really valuable with those dollars just by being in the position of being able to offer a custom benefit. And the other thing I was really noticing as as Dan was sharing was that executive benefits can be a really interesting place for experimentation and creativity, sort of noticing where are the gaps in our employee benefits program. Certainly if there are caps and and your high income staff and executive teams are are needing solutions that true up their benefits so that they get, you know, say the 60% income replacement that they're promised. That's something where executive benefits can come into play and and bring parity. But I think it involves, from what Dan said, it really sounds like it involves noticing where the gaps are and then getting creative about those solutions. And so I just think it's really interesting. And I wonder if employers, you know, might want to start thinking about how the solutions that they're providing at the executive level can be a way to pilot solutions that certainly in our case with Brella, having very affordable premiums, you know, to bring that then to the rest of the employee teams, especially as we're seeing higher cost sharing and higher health insurance premiums and an increased sort of need for security around the health benefit offering in this post-pandemic environment. So I just thought that was really interesting. Executive benefits as a place for experimentation. Yep. Well said. All right. Well, if you'd like to connect with Dan, you can visit the Executive Benefits Group website at execben.com. I will add a link there, as well as a link to the book that Dan mentioned to our show notes, which you can find on joinbrella.com. And if you want to get in touch with Mike or learn more about Brella, you can visit our website at joinbrella.com or email us at sales at joinbrella.com. Thanks again for another episode. We'll talk to you next week. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.